You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with the awesome Alison Tate. How are you, Al, this week? Well, apparently I'm awesome, Valerie, which I think is always a good way to be. Everybody should be awesome. Everything is awesome. Oh, there's a song in that, isn't there? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Here's an earworm for you. Um, you know, I'm really good. Um, I'm just sitting here trying to get myself into the festive spirit. There's only days to Christmas and mm. somehow, I don't know, you know, it's on the same day every year and yet <laughs> somehow it, there are years where it just sort of creeps up on me. And this is one of those years. Oh, it creeps up on me every year. Does it? Yeah, the whole year creeps up on me. Before you know it, it's 2017. Oh, that's two years. Yeah, I know. That's how quickly time creeps well, up on me. Yeah, I have a little bit of that as well, but it's just, I don't know, like sometimes I'm totally organised and my shopping's done at the end of October and I know exactly what I'm doing. And this year I just, I don't even know what my children want for Christmas, let alone. I'm just Don't hopeless. they tell you? Well, they kind of do, but they change their, like they're 10 and 7. And they just, you know, their things. I mean, okay, so Mr. Ten says to me yesterday that he thinks he might write a letter to Santa. Mm. And I said to him, well, you know, it's a little bit late. Yeah. You know, get a response. He goes, well, he said, I've been thinking about it. And I thought I'd just write things like something like, dear Santa, um, I, I trust you to bring me exactly the right thing. <laughs> and I thought, okay. And I went, oh, that's great. And then he said to me, and then he said, I thought I might just maybe, rather than making a list of what I wanted, I could just put some themes on the on the letter and I'm like themes yeah (laughs) wow and you know Santa gets confused by themes it's all I'm saying okay what did he mean by themes did he mean like you know love loss and belonging well he no he meant like you know he's gonna write just like fantasy or science fiction or books or you know like not an actual specific but a general area from which Santa may choose to you know so did he post the letter no, he didn't even write it in the end because, you know, he's 10 and his attention span is about 34 seconds for anything. Right. Um, so as far as I know, it hasn't happened. Wow. So well, Santa, Santa is going in blind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't envy Santa. No, poor Santa. Anyway. Well, I have to say we're at episode 44 and it's actually our last one for 2014. Hmm. And we're just going to – so listeners, we, we just wanted to let you know that we're only having a short break of uh, two or three weeks, but we will be back by mid to late January because, um, you know, we've got to do – what are we going to do, Al? Stuff. <laughs> Stuff. What you mean now? Oh. No, we've got to have a little break. <laughs> you need a, clearly, I need a little break. My headspace is uh, somewhat cluttered at the moment. It's a bit like London Airport airspace, um, like planes going everywhere. You know, because no. there's Christmas, there's family things, there's all yeah. those things that uh, one does over the Australian summer. There is. But we know that uh, it's not summer for all of our listeners because what we thought we would do this episode was stray a little bit away from our usual, uh, you know, our usual segments. 
and we thought we'd share with you some uh, idea of how this podcast has gone over the last year. So, in addition to Australian listeners, we want to have a big shout out to uh, listeners from the United States, uh, the United Arab Emirates, quite a chunk of uh, listeners from the United Arab Emirates, from New Zealand, hello all the Kiwis, Hello, Kiwis. UK, and a smaller percentage from South Africa, Canada, and Japan, and sometimes Qatar. So... (laughs) We're very international, aren't we? Yes, but the growing uh, parts of the pie are actually the United States and the United Arab Emirates. So thank you to all of our international listeners. And if you're listening from another country, tweet us and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. These are just Mm -hmm. the um, statistics that we get from iTunes. So, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Say hello. We are also ending the year, Alison. Oh. On a high, I'm, a high, and we want to say thank you to everyone who is listening because we just found out yesterday that we are number one in the literature cat- category on iTunes. So thank you, everyone, for all of your support. We really appreciate it. We do, and I've, I feel like I need to go and get a T-shirt made with number one on the front of it. Yeah, we should totally Even if do I'm that. only wearing it in my home office for my own benefit. <laughs> <laughs> so you can look at it. So I can know, yeah. So it's, it's um, important. One of the things that we're doing as as obvious, well, which is obvious over Christmas is all those Christmassy things. What are you doing over Christmas, Al, and how have you been going in the lead up to Christmas? Well, I haven't been going well in the lead up to Christmas. As I said, it's crept up on me and I have found myself suddenly having to don the tinsel. And I mean, I got the tree up. We did all that. But I just, the Christmas spirit has been slow in arriving. So um, I've ordered my ham and I am ready. I am currently searching for the best ham glaze recipe ever. So if anybody out there has the perfect ham glaze recipe, please let me know. Email it to me. I'm I'm taking all suggestions at this stage. I'm not locked into anything. Um, so I would not that. know what to do with a ham if it dropped into my lap and I wouldn't even know what glaze is. Well, it's very it's actually quite fun, you know. It's it's the it's the way that you make your ham individual. It's it's the way that you, you bring your personality to your Christmas ham, oh. and it makes it all shiny, and it and it gives it that gooey, sticky thing on the outside, and it's all very exciting. Wow. Really, a ham Look, with Alison's personality. I know, but that's mm. that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm obviously looking for a new personality because <laughs> I need a new recipe. Um, but yeah, no, I will be just having Christmas with uh, my small family and my mum and dad this year. It, it's what we call an away Christmas, which means that all the others are off having Christmas with their in-laws uh, and things yes. like that. Um, my husband's in-laws do uh, Christmas slightly differently, so we will just have mum and dad on Christmas Day and that will be um, that will be us. It'll be just, you know, it'll be the usual, you know, presents and too much ham and lie mm. on the couch at three o'clock. Wow. What about you? What are you doing? Well. Yesterday I took out all the Santa sacks, so we've got all the Santa sacks lined up now, ready to be filled mm-hmm. uh, for all the five fur babies. So they've they've done. Well, they just can't wait. They can't. They know exactly what happens with the Santa sacks every year. It's really exciting. So Christmas morning they get their you know Santa sacks, and it's usually treats and toys and other things like that. Um, but uh, my family actually does Christmas on Christmas Eve. So, yes, we will be feeding ourselves stupid on Christmas Eve on all manner of um, different types of food, no doubt including ham. I'm not the biggest fan of turkey in the world. but no, um, me either. 
Anyway. I stuffed a turkey once. I mm. was living in a share house in London and there were like, we had 15 people coming for lunch. And so I had the turkey there and I was there because I had, you know, you've got to put them on at the crack of dawn. So I had to get mm. up with a hangover because I was, I'd been out the night before <laughs> and I had this turkey on the bench and they're massive. Like they're just yeah, massive. massive. And massive. when they're nude, they're kind of, it's all a bit yuck. Mm. And um, I'm standing there like shoving breadcrumbs up this turkey, just thinking like, really, I'm never doing this again. No. And I never have. It did that it work a, though? Oh, it was fantastic. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Everyone else thought it was fantastic. I didn't actually eat it because by the oh. time I'd stuffed it, I never wanted to see it again. No, fair enough. I've never stuffed a turkey or even tried to cook a turkey. I wouldn't know the first thing to do. But um, but anyway, somebody else will be cooking the ham and the turkeys on Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas Day, uh, we're doing a tradition that we started about four years ago, which is to go out for Christmas lunch because oh, we don't actually do a Christmas. No, yeah. So we don't do a Christmas lunch because we do it on Christmas Eve. So we're going to go out. So oh, I'm pretty excited yeah. about that. Lovely. Lovely. I'm well, a little bit jealous of that, to be honest. Well, you know, no <laughs> clean. as I glaze my hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's great because somebody else does all the cooking and you just, all you need to do is eat and, and you don't even have to wash up. Oh, now see, that's a massive problem. And you don't have to bring a present for the host. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop. You're making me jealous. Tell me something else. What else have you got to tell me? What else have I got to tell you? I've got to tell you I thought that what we would do today before we get to our surprise writer-in-residence, and you don't even know who our writer-in-residence is, um, but before we get to that, I thought we would do a recap on the most popular interviews on So You Want to Be a Writer for 2014 because it's pretty interesting to see what audiences have you know resonated with and the ones that, that they've downloaded the most. Mm. So I have the stats in front of me. and I've Okay. Got I'm ready. Shall Hit I just me. reveal them? The top 10. Let's do it. Top 10. So I'll do the top one. Uh, and this was the top one by a mile and it was Graham Simpson. Ah, yes. And yes. it was an excellent interview. It was. So, but I think it's possibly also the number one because it was the number one. It was the first interview. It was the first interview we ever did. So when people discover our podcast, that's where they go, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Interesting. <laughs> now, the rest are in no particular order, but uh, they include Fleur McDonald. Why do you think she was so popular, Al? Because she's incredibly popular because oh, yes, her, her rural romance, see how I did that? I'm getting so much better at that. Yes, a rural romance sells, you know, by the truckload, and it's she's she's obviously um, she's also really personable. Like that, I remember that interview as being quite a lovely, chatty, conversational mm. thing. But you know, if you're looking for the secret of of a bestseller, well, then I can see why people would want to listen to someone who is one. <laughs> yes, and it's all the rage, isn't it? Rural Absolutely. Romance. So another one that was very popular it was Alison Rushby. Now, why ah, do you think yes. that one was very popular? Uh, I think it was popular for a couple of reasons. Alison is um, incredibly talented. She's um, She writes across a whole range of genres and she's been around, you know, doing that for a long time. And she's had success across, you know, women's fiction, children's fiction, um, a whole range of different things. And she also, we, we had a very good conversation about the fact that she has been traditionally published for many years, but now she also self-publishes her backlist mm. because obviously the rights of the things that she's been writing for many, many years have returned to her. And so now she has been in the process of um, self-publishing those on Amazon and it's been going well. So we talked about that process and I, I think that that's probably something that really resonated with people who are wondering whether or not they should be going for a mainstream publisher or self-publishing. She gave us both sides. 
Absolutely, yes. And um, I think people are also really interested in the editing process because up there in the top 10 is Kylie Mason. Yes, freelance editor. And that was also a great interview. Yes, I've done well this year. I've talked to so <laughs> Honestly, I'm so lucky. I've spoken to so many interesting people. Um, I think that what an editor does is so shrouded in mystery for a lot of writers that being able to actually hear one discuss it in depth mm. is, is it's an invaluable resource and I think that people have actually um, seen that and we had a really really good conversation about all the different um, aspects of editing where they come into it what she looks for in a book all those different things that you do and um, I think you know like as I said it's like a behind the scenes um, glimpse of, of what an editor does and I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with the process have found that really useful. Mm-mm. And also uh, in the top 10 is Deborah O'Brien. Now, I was thinking about why she was so popular. I mean, she does have some really great books, but I think one of the things that captured people's imagination was the fact that she started off as a visual artist. You know, oh, so right. it was quite, yeah. it's quite a, it's quite a career change, really. I mean, of yeah. course, it's all in the arts, but painting is very different to writing uh, but she has since authored several non-fiction books but also written for magazines and short stories and of course you know she's she's written uh, a number of books including her latest one a place of her own and so and she was a she was a good chat as well it was yeah um, yeah it's a nice it, she revealed a lot about her process and um and and I think again it was just that the fact that she she can do both so well uh, is what I think, well, fascinated me anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because they are quite different processes, so it's interesting that she can that she can do both quite well. So, Leanne Moriarty. <gasps> the lovely Leanne. I mm. love talking to Leanne. She's, I've done several interviews with her in the past and she also came to my Pink Fibro Book Club and was one of our writers. Um, she did a Facebook chat with, with the group and things like that and she's also um, incredibly generous and so successful. I'm sorry, mm. but it's not every day that you get to talk to someone who's been number one on the New York Times um, twice, yeah. and you know whose books have been optioned for movies, and who such. I think her her um, her latest novel, Little Big Lies, has been uh, was the number one book on iTunes for 2014. Wow! You know she's incredibly, incredibly. Um, Popular, And, I mean, I love talking to her because the thing about her that is so interesting is that she doesn't plot at all. Yeah. She just writes, you know, she starts with an idea, writes the first sentence and then hopes like heck that she can <laughs> get to the end of it, um, which I always find so. I mean, every time I talk to her, I'm like, have you, is it, have you changed anything? Is anything different? She's like, nope, still doing it that way. Um, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, I, yeah, she's definitely worth listening to because I think it's just that whole thing of, She's so successful, like really. Yeah, like If absolutely. you can pick the brains of someone who's at, who, who does that well, then, then why not? Now also in our top ten, and interestingly uh, just ahead of Leanne Moriarty, is Lex Marinos. And, oh, yes. um, yeah, you know, and that's it. That's his, he wrote the, his memoir, Blood and Circuses, and um, no doubt people, some people will remember Lex Marinos uh, as his, one of his most famous roles was in Kingswood Country, which we all watched when we were growing up. Yep. Uh, but he is certainly an acclaimed actor and director and screenwriter. You, you know, he wrote Bodyline um, and uh, an author as well. And I guess that stood out for me because he came to my house to record <laughs> that. <laughs> with what, with the cat's wife? 
winding around his legs. The cat winding and the dog winding around his legs. (laughs) And as I've mentioned, it was everything I could do to hold myself back from saying, leave your money on the fridge. Oh, I'm so glad you didn't do that. But to this day, you regret, wish, don't you? you well, yeah, I know a lost opportunity. I know. So we took a selfie, and um, I was like, I should have taken it in front of the fridge. Yeah. But I can't believe you didn't do that. Another popular one in our top ten is Kylie Ladd. Always popular, the mm. ever popular Kylie Ladd. You know, oh, that was that was incredibly memorable for me. That particular conversation. Um, so for two reasons. First of all, let's contrast it with the Leanne Moriarty one in the sense that Kylie is very much a plotter and works to spreadsheets and she and I often have, um, you know, banter on Twitter and Facebook and places mm. about the fact that she she really feels I need a spreadsheet in my life and I feel like that would probably be the worst thing that ever happened to me. Um, so we have, we have great conversations about that. But also we had this hilarious little section there where we discussed tapeworms because she said to me, I mean, this is the whole thing with interviewing people. You're never quite sure where it's going to go. Mm. And um, she said to me that in some days, you know, writing for her feels like, you know, like like dragging it out like a tapeworm. And I was just like, oh, right, there's a visual that I'm never, ever going to lose. Yeah, um, so that was quite funny. So, we, yeah, she's – but she's – I think the great thing about Kylie is that she's so real about writing. Like she's like, this is what it's like. It's not some airy-fairy, you know, five-star hotel and book tour process. It is actually sitting at your computer every single day, you know, giving birth to a tapeworm apparently. Um, So, yeah, but it was, I think it resonated with a lot of people because of that as well. Also in our top 10 was Chris Ducker and uh, I particularly enjoyed uh, chatting to Chris Ducker. We did that while we were at ProBlogger in Queensland and, um, you know, set up all the recording in my hotel room and uh, did the interview there and I thought that was really interesting because Chris has kind of come out of nowhere over the last year to 18 months has become very high profile, largely on the back of his blog and podcast and his book, Virtual Freedom. Now, the book itself is actually about outsourcing. So while that topic may not be, you know, the hot topic on everyone's lips for our listeners, his book marketing process was certainly something to pay attention to. And he, you know, he was very strategic. He planned it all out. He um, he even released what I, one of the things I thought he was quite clever at doing. Um, he had his regular podcast called The New Business Podcast. But in the lead up to the uh, release of his book, Virtual Freedom, he created kind of a mini podcast that was specifically about the book. And it was I think it was called Virtual Freedom. And it only went for a finite amount of time. But the whole purpose of that was to promote the book because, you know, to capture a whole different uh, market of people who may not necessarily listen to his regular podcast, which is a bit broader. So it was specific, no doubt people who were interested in that topic would have been listening to their podcast and that was a good uh, sales tool for the book. But the clever thing, I think, it remains an asset on iTunes forevermore, uh, forevermore. which yeah, which then uh, s- still promotes people, uh, promotes the book to people. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, good tactics from Chris. I'm going to start a mapmaker podcast. You should, you should. Um, so and the and, and also in our top ten, the final one in our top ten is Charlotte Wood. Ah, oh, right. Yes, that was a great interview. She's always so interesting to talk to, Charlotte. Um, you know, obviously she's got an incredible reputation as. 
um, a, a literary novelist in Australia. Um, and she also has lots to say about the whole business of author platforms, which she doesn't believe in, which I always find really interesting because, again, we have several conversations on Twitter and various places about it. Mm. Um, she has actually called it junk in the past mm. on, on, an, on an interview that I did with her for my blog. And um, so we just we, – we had a great chat about that. We talked about her writing process. She's – what I would call sort of like a slow writing movement person. Um, she thinks there's a lot of thinking and headbutting the wall and that sort of stuff involved. It can take her years to write a novel. Um, and so we talked about how that process works for her because it's very much the antithesis of the way that everybody seems to be writing these days, which is that whole write, publish, repeat business mm. that um, we did talk about earlier in a podcast. I can't remember which one. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so that was that was an interesting – always talking writing with Charlotte is always an eye-opening experience. It was really, really good. It's been such a great privilege, hasn't it? It, it has. Hasn't it been, like, to talk to so many fantastic authors over the years. It has. Yes, mm. I think, as I say, I'm, I, I'm, it's – it, it's an incredible opportunity um, for me to talk to them all mm. and I'm always just so pleased that I get to share it with, you know, with so many people as a, as a resource for them to learn as well. Who's your fav- who was your favourite? You know what? I think my favourite interview of the whole year mm. was the one that I did with Nick Earls. Right. And I think it was because it was so surprising and he was so generous. He was just I was, it was meant to be a 20-minute interview and I'm sure it went for about 32 minutes or something. Like it was we, – we just sort of – we went down – because, you know, I, I like a bit of a, a tangent and <laughs> we went down, you know, lots and lots of tangents and we did um, – you know, he, he shared a lot of stories about his earlier days as a, as a writer and he's incredibly successful. Um, yeah, so I think that was probably my favourite. I just – Why was it away. surprising? I don't know. I just walked away from it going – I've learned things there today that I wasn't expecting to learn. Mm. I can't exactly tell you even what they were, but <laughs> I just, yeah, I just really, I really enjoyed it. And the actual conversation itself was so interesting. You mm. know, when you're talking to somebody and it's just, it was, it was like we were sitting at the pub with a glass of wine, mm. just having a really great chat about writing, which is, of course, one of my favourite things to do. Of so it didn't feel like an interview so much. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was because it was a conversation. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I just... I think that was my favourite for the whole year. What about nice. yours? Oh, I think that's like asking which is your favourite child. Oh, please. <laughs> it's not. It's not at all, but whatever. I've loved all of them. I think they've all been really, you know, really enjoyable and really fun and I guess, yeah, I find it really hard to pick. Okay. Yeah. Be like that. I'm going to be like that. Leave me out here on my limb, having <laughs> chosen my favourite child. Ah. It's okay. We're all different. Yes, we are. So we're, let's move on now to our writer in residence for this week. Is it Santa? It's not Santa. Oh, it's not? Okay. It's who not Santa. It? But uh, yes, listeners, Alison does not know who our writer in residence is this week. I thought I would surprise her. Oh, great. So, I'm looking forward to hearing who it is. Are we ready? We're ready. It's you. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? You can't do that to me. <laughs> yes, I can and I just did. So oh I'm going to interview you. Right. I know that we've heard bits about Matt Maker Chronicles and we've heard the progression about the, this wonderful book um, over the past several months or so. But I think that what we'd really like to know is a little bit 
of your career and I know you've dropped little snippets here and there but I wanted to do a proper interview with you so there but you I go. I haven't done my hair or anything Valerie. Oh my god. I'm starting now. Okay I'm, I'm thinking rapidly. When did you know that you wanted to write? See, you're going to start with the biggies, aren't you? Those are the hard questions. That yeah, one well, you're smart. Favorite, you can do it. Those ones and what's your favourite book are always my favourite question. Okay, I promise I won't ask you what your favourite book is. I – oh, thank you. Uh, look, to be honest with you, I, I don't think I ever made a conscious decision that I was going to write. I think it just was always something that I did. I wasn't that kid that was writing novels or anything like that. I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I was I remember being in, in year 11 and I was quite determined that I was going to go and walk at, work at the Sydney Morning Herald and I got work experience there and mm. I went and I did that in the newsroom and I walked away from it just thinking that I never want to do that. Um, Why? Uh, because we... I did two days with the reporters and I remember it was like five o'clock in the morning and we were sitting outside the house of somebody, you know, out in the suburbs of Western Sydney um, and their family had been involved in a terrorist attack or something in Germany and had been, there'd been a bomb and we were on their doorstep at five in the morning wanting photos from mm. them. And I understand that that is the news process. I get that, but I didn't want to do that. I just didn't I, like it just turned me off for life I thought it, you know if you can't do that Alison then then that's not the job for you so I kind of walked away from it at that point and I, I was really quite lost and I was going off to uni to do a BA and I you know like really and um, and then sort of I decided um, that I would do a business college course because my other career plan this is very important mm-hmm. my other career plan was that I was going to be a Hollywood star so, oh yeah, no, you really. <laughs> and you thought a business co- college course well, would help you become a Hollywood, a Hollywood star. star? Yeah, you know why I knew that because I knew that what that that Hollywood stars that actors had to do a lot of waitressing and stuff like that, like while they were <laughs> waiting to be famous. And I'm a really bad waitress. I had done a few years of waitressing at one of my local cafes and realised that I really needed to go and work at the corner shop instead. <laughs> so I did that, and so I thought, well, if I learn to type, then you know, I can do that while I'm just waiting for Hollywood to ring me. So of that, was, that was my plan. I was sick. So that was basically what I decided to do. I would learn to type and then I would wait for Hollywood and then I would go and be rich and famous. But that kind of didn't work out for me. But what did work out for me, <laughs> what did work out for me is that my business college course got me a job at Federal Publishing and I worked there um, typing for about 12 months before a cadetship came up and I put my hand up for the cadetship and convince them that they needed to turn me into a magazine journalist. <laughs> wow. And so I know. were you actually, what were you typing? Oh, I worked at Electronics Australia magazine and Your Computer magazine. And oh. I used to send out, so my job initially was to send out, because when you're on Electronics Australia magazine, it, it was like all these electronics projects that you could mm. make at home, like radios and things. Oh, yes. So people would... Um, write in and they would want the instructions from a back issue like 20 years ago for how to make a, you know, a radio or a whatever and I would have to find it, photocopy it and send it out to them. That was my first oh job. My and I typed all the letters for the editor because he's, you know, like back in the day there was no computer. Mm. So I was on, a, on my manual typewriter typing up the correspondence and, wow. yeah, that's what I did. So you got 12 months. You got the cadetship and what happened then? 
Um, I got the cadetship and I worked on Prevention Magazine for about 12 months. But in but I also worked at Countdown Magazine mm-hmm. and got to go out and ask James Rain what colour underpants he wore. Mm-hmm. And I worked at, um, I edited a, a heavy metal magazine for a little while. So I was the actual right. editor. So I was ringing all these heavy metal bands in the US at, you know, like seven o'clock in the morning to talk to them about their sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. Do you like heavy metal? No, not at all. And I was sitting back here. It was the hilarious thing was it was like it was like the late nineties and the fashion was all for like floral frocks with Doc Martens and things like that. Yes. So I'd I'd be sitting in my office in Sydney in my floral frock, mm-hmm. talking to some bloke wearing black eyeliner and leather over in LA, which was quite hilarious. Yes, I did that for a while. And I eventually ended up um at Australian country style magazine. And I was yep. the sub editor and production editor there until I went to London. I went to London about uh, I think I'd been at Federal Publishing for about three years at, when I went to London. And how, how long did you spend in London? I was in London for two years. I worked Doing? at, uh, I worked at uh, well, I travelled around and, you know, drank too much beer and did yes. all that stuff, as you do. Yes. Um, but I also managed to get myself a job at um, Homes and Gardens magazine mm. in Britain and I, I worked there as a sub-editor for about 18 months and I was like their random pet Australian that they used to all stare at. <laughs> Oh, honestly, like you would have thought I was some exotic creature from outer space the way they carried on sometimes. But anyway, and I lived in a share house over there with, you know, 70,000 people sleeping on the floor. So you came back to Australia and you worked at? I came back to Australia and I worked at um, Vogue magazine. I went to Vogue Australia as the chief sub. Um, I did a maternity leave position there for 12 months um, as chief sub, and um, which was a step up you know, for me, which mm. was great. And I had to learn <laughs> I had the most hilarious steep learning curve about fashion. And I mm. remember I'd be sitting there because it was the chief sub's job to write a lot of the headlines, obviously, in the fashion copy and stuff. And I'd be sitting in the, in the fashion cupboard with these glamorous young things, you know, in all their gear. And they'd be trying to explain to me why the pointy shoe was so important mm-hmm. and why the, you know, why with the, the, that particular A-line skirt was, was vitally essential. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, can you just like, really, can you just tell me what it's for? Like, why do I want to wear this? And they're like, oh, it's so this and it's so that. So it, it was a very, very good learning curve on taking foreign information and turning it into stuff that people could read. It was really, really, really good for that. But they were great. Like that, that, was, that was one of the most glamorous magazine experiences I've ever had. It was fantastic. Mm. Loved it. Loved and then it. moved on to? Then I went to because I, the, um, so the 12 months was up and I decided at that point that I really didn't want to edit other people's copy anymore. I'd been mm. writing bits and pieces for the magazines that I'd worked on all that time. Um, but my main focus at that stage was still editing. It was still sub-editing and, and that sort of stuff. And I actually just got really sick of getting really bad copy in and making people look good. I got really sick of it. Mm. And so I decided that I was going to be a features writer myself. Mm. So I got myself a job outside of the industry. I went to work um, for the public service at the Sydney Cove, the Sydney Harbour Foreshore Authority yeah. as their publications coordinator. And I basically like put together brochures for them during the day and I started freelancing. And I saw, my first job was at Cosmo and I started to just build my portfolio from there. Mm-hmm. And I also started, because the job was so boring and I had so much time on my hands, I started writing romance fiction while I was sitting in my office. Oh, even back then? Even back then because I, I was just like, 
uh, well, I need something to do here that makes me look busy. I know, I'll write a book. <laughs> Why romance fiction? Um, well, it made sense to me at the time, romance fiction, because I had been working in magazines and I um, I sort of thought the way that romance fiction works is that there's so many different li- they call them lines, and each mm. line it has a certain level of, of sex or a certain level of humour or a certain level of, you know, dastardly shakes taking women across the deserts and all that sort of stuff. Um, so you could choose a line that's that kind of appealed to you and and you had an idea of, of the voice that, that you needed for that and stuff. So it was like magazines in a way. Like I thought it made sense. Like I could write to the line and, and I had a target market and a demographic and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And and that was that was a good theory, shall we say, but mm. it was not actually didn't work out like that because there's a lot more to romance than meets the eye and I found that um, I was able to, I, I could write the stories all right, but what I really, really struggled with was uh, not getting bored with trying to keep an emotional bond going for 55,000 words. <laughs> I really struggled with that and I kept bringing in too many characters and, mm. you know, there was too much going on. But anyway, that's when I started writing my first one was when I was working at the Sydney Cove Authority. Gosh, okay. Yeah. So then you were freelancing and then what happened? Um, so I was freelancing and then I applied for a job at Clio and I got it. And yes. so I went to Clio as the, my title at the time was the lifestyle editor yes. and I went to Clio and um, I was at Clio for nearly two years and it was a huge, because it was my first full-time writing job, like I had never, like I'd, I'd been, you know, I'd written obviously brochures at the rocks and I would some um, freelancing and stuff like that. But the that's where you really learn about deadlines and mm. you really, really learn about productivity mm. is working in an environment like that mm. um, and it was a huge upswing for me and managing sort of all the different interviews that you needed. And, of course, mm. we're talking about a time when you couldn't just Google an association oh, yeah. for people who – so when you're looking for case studies, you're on the phone and you're through the yellow pages yeah. and you're like ringing people up cold mm. saying, how would you like to be in my story about women who were left at the altar? Mm. You know, it's stuff like that. It's really quite um, – it was it was pretty – it was hard work in a lot of ways. It was a lot of fun. Like everybody dressed like they were going to a cocktail party every day. So yes. you know, the atmosphere around you is really quite fun. But mm. it, it was a really, really good grounding in – this is how you meet a deadline mm. and this is how you get the words done because, you know, if you didn't get the words done, you got into big trouble basically. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where I met you. And that's where we met, exactly. And do you remember those, you know, speaking of, of glamorous environments and things like that, we never had to buy makeup or lipstick no. or perfume ever. <laughs> oh, I had truckloads of the stuff. Truckloads and CDs and books. CDs. And, that's what, like, you go home remember, with bags full of stuff. Yeah, bags full. Because do, do you remember we used to have those – uh, they called them grabs at the time. I'm sure yeah. every magazine has a different term for it. Yeah. But um, where all of the free stuff gets yeah. piled into this huge table in the middle yeah. Yeah. and everyone has a go and pick one thing and it just goes on forever because there's so much stuff and you end yeah. up with all this makeup and perfumes and, you yeah. know, And so stuff. much stuff that you never used. Yeah, that's so true. I used to give a lot of it away. Yeah. Yeah, because I never used it. Uh, okay, then after Cleo you went to? Um, so after Clio, so I did two years at Clio and I, at that point decided that I could not write another orgasm story to save myself. Do you know what, what really tipped me over the edge? Let me tell you about my defining moment at Clio because it's really quite fun. Um, so 
I had I was doing a story <clears throat> where I had to um, I had to get ten guys to identify the clitoris on a diagram. <laughs> it was called Can He Find Your Clitoris? Mm-hmm. So I had to find ten guys willing to identify the clitoris, you know, with an X on a diagram, and then <laughs> have their photo next to it with and who they were and how many girlfriends they'd had oh and God. all this kind of stuff, right? So yeah, I'm in really high point in oh my journalistic my career, but one of these guys. I had to go to Kingswood. Kingswood? Kingsgrove? Kingsgrove. That's it, Kingswood. <laughs> it's Lex Marinos. Yes. Um, I had to go to Kingsgrove Petrol Station. So I caught the train out there and I had to go to Kingsgrove Petrol Station and meet him there and so that on the, on the bonnet of his car he identified the clitoris on a diagram for me oh and then I had to God. take a photo of him against the petrol station wall oh and God. get him to fill out the questionnaire and then head back to back back into Sydney and I got back to Sydney and I walked into the office of the editor and I said okay that's me done this is my notice I've finished I'm not doing this anymore it completely tipped me over the edge and I I went to work know that oh it was no it was I was no it was that was the low point (laughs) and um and then I went to work for HQ magazine Yes. Three days a week I went back to subbing three days a week and decided that I would just focus on my freelancing career at that point that was that was what I decided to do because I thought I just need to get away from this during this time did you were you writing the romance novel were you writing other things during that time I wasn't writing very much of anything because I was writing so much at work Mm. and I was working such long hours that my writing you know the the writing kind of inspiration thing was being fulfilled to a degree beyond beyond the clitoris story, mm. um, but you know like the, 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 clear, the writing for magazines like that is a lot of fun and you've really got to work hard to get the voice right and all of that sort mm. of stuff. So I was doing an awful lot of writing and so I wasn't writing fiction at all. I had just basically like that that had just gone on hold um, while I I worked you know at my career at that point, mm. and I was also at that stage still thinking that maybe I wanted to edit a magazine like I was still thinking that that career trajectory might be towards you know going into that Mm. but I think being at Clio showed me um that being an editor would take me away from what I liked doing the most and Mm. that was that was the writing um because essentially as the editor of a magazine and it's even more so now um but as the editor of a magazine you're running a business you're essentially the business manager and it's your job to make sure that the content is going to sell and the cover lines and things like that but you're also in a thousand meetings a day with advertisers and a thousand meetings a day with your management and and I I just you know it really opened my eyes to the fact that that probably wasn't actually what I wanted Mm. Um, so when I went sideways a little bit to back to HQ and, and back to sort of thinking that I would focus on freelancing, I, at that point started to reconsider writing fiction again. Mm. But then I went and worked at House and Garden three days a week as the features editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. So I was doing three days and we've talked about this before in workshops and things we've done. You can never underestimate the absolute bonus that a two or three day a week job can be yeah. when you are building a freelance career. Yeah. So I had the three days um, where I was really, really, really busy and then I had two days at home in which I was um, was freelancing and I was freelancing a lot. I, I had a lot of work at that point because I was still writing a lot for Clio. I was freelancing not just for um, – not just working three days a week at House and Garden but also freelancing for them because there was a lot of stuff that needed to be written. So yeah. I was doing a lot of work and um, I, I did that for two years 
And then I went back to Clio three days a week as the online editor, which Mm -hmm. was great because it was a new, um, you know, it was very new then, all websites and things. And I got in at the ground floor and I learned a lot about how it all worked. And then I got pregnant. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I was still freelancing and I was pregnant and I decided at that point that I was going to freelance full time. I wasn't going to go back. Wow. Mm. And so is did then when you decided to freelance full time, did the fiction and yes. other types of writing step up? Yes, absolutely. When I was at home with a baby um, and I was freelancing, I, I wrote my first freelance story when my oldest son was about three months old. So I continued working um, with the freelance stuff, but obviously as much as you can around a baby. So it was kind of like a part-time thing at that stage still. Um, and I started writing fiction to keep my mind from going insane. That's basically why I started. I'd just sort of sit there at night when everyone else was asleep and I was awake and I was an insomniac as well um, and I just started writing fiction again. But why like, fiction? Seriously. When you Why fiction? Because you could have stopped yourself from going insane from writing your know, articles. Uh, no, uh, no, that would have just driven me more insane. Really? Because, yeah, it would have because fiction was something that I could do completely independently of anybody else, whereas right. free, freelance writing requires interviews, requires mm. phone calls, requires all those things. So I did those things. I made all those phone calls and did all that stuff in the 45 minutes a day in the middle of the day when my son had a sleep mm. um, and or, you know, and I was wedging them in around sleeps and I was sitting there with him on my lap at one stage, you know, trying to do an interview with a guy. It's really difficult to juggle that. It's, you can never underestimate how difficult it can be. Mm. But at night when, you know, he'd gone to bed and my husband's a builder so he would go to bed early, I'd be sitting there and I'd go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a go at this. I'd been writing some short stories and I'd had them published in, you know, Women's Day and various magazines that I'd written for. Um, So I'd written some short fiction stories and I thought I'm going to go back to this and see if I can make it work. And I also started going to the Romance Writers Conferences at that stage. Mm. Did you, did most of your fiction have a romance theme or at, at the time? Yes. At that stage, I was still writing. I was still thinking that I would write romance fiction because my thinking on it was most of those romance girls are writing uh, at that stage, they were writing a minimum of about four books a year. So you'd write a book every three months. It was like a contract situation. And it was, it was like, it was almost like the, it was the very earliest stages of write, write, publish, repeat. Do you Mm. know what I'm saying? That Mm. model was set up by the romance publishers really um because they they put new books out every six weeks so they would um you, you had there was a there was a certain amount of just there's a there's a lot of certainty of knowledge around that romance market mm. there's a lot of information available about it and so being me I did a lot of research and it made sense again it still made sense to me to do that to write mm. that sort of work um, because I'd read it, you know, I'd, I'd really liked it as a, as a, in my late teens and stuff like that. I mean, I must right. have read a million of them when I was <laughs> about 17. Did you read um, all the Sweet Dreams books? I read all of those, <laughs> Sweet Valley High. Yeah. I read everything. Like, I mean, you know, when you're a voracious reader like I am, series mm. are a really good thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was still sort of, so the, the first novel I ever wrote was a romance novel and the second novel I ever wrote was also a romance novel, category romance, right straight down the line. Mm. And then I won a mentor in a competition and I was, you know, sending her this second book that I was writing and she kept saying to me, Alison, I think you need a broader canvas. Alison, mm. I think you need a broader canvas. Um, try something bigger. And so that's when I sat down to write my first 
you know, commercial women's fiction novel was mm. was after this mentor said to me, I just think you need to you need something with ninety thousand words. You've got to go bigger. So I did. So when you write, when you so when you've got the background that you have had, and it's very much feature writing and non-fiction, it is steeped in journalism, it's facts and interviews. They help. They essentially shape the story. Of course, you admit, you bring the story to life, but the facts are the facts, and they exist. You don't have to make them up. So, but when it comes to writing fiction, it has to come from your imagination. Where do you? get your inspiration from well the ideas for your stories always always from around me and I know people say that and you kind of look at them like what are you talking about like (laughs) there's there's no Vidanians you know down on the south coast um but they basically like ideas come from conversations that you have or from things that you're going through so the first commercial women's fiction novel that I wrote I wrote it um at a time when my husband and I were talking about moving to the South Coast and I had I, I went to high school down here. So for me it was like coming back and in some ways I had a real issue with it because it was a sort of, um, you know, it was, it felt, in some ways it feels like a failure to return to your hometown even though you're coming back for different reasons, for whatever reasons you want. So I, I basically wrote a book my first novel explored that. I had three characters at different stages and one of the things I've never really understood and I still to this day do not understand is people who grow up in a town like I lived in who don't ever leave. Yeah. Who just, you know, stay and get married and they're, they're happy as clams. Mm. You know, they're so happy. Mm. Um, I was never that person. So to me writing the novel gave me a chance to kind of explore that world a little bit as well. And mm. um, so the, that's that's where the idea for that came from. I mean the idea for the map makers came from two conversations that I had with my son. Mm. You know, we were talking about um, one night we were standing out the back and he asked me how far does space go? And you mm. kind of go, when you start thinking about that and what it, what it, what might be the, at the edges, mm. you, it really is, it hurts your head. And then the next night he sort of asked me, um, we were reading a horrible histories book, which he loves, and he sort of said to me, oh, how did they map the world? Because he knows I like maps. I've got lots of um, books about maps and I've got, you know, antique maps around and various things. And um and I said to him, well, they had to go, you know, they had to get in a boat and go out and see what was there. And, um, and then I had that moment of mothering genius <laughs> where I said to him, it, they would have felt exactly the same way as we felt when we looked out into space last night. Mm. And, and it was just like, and I, just right there and then I had the idea for the book, right there, just wow. in those conversations. And, I mean, obviously I then went and developed it and I had a race. And, but I had the idea for a race to map the world and a boy who didn't want to go because mm. seriously who would? Mm. just right from those two conversations that I had with him. So mm. I think ideas are around you and, and I think that, I mean, it's like I say to my school groups when I go out and do school talks, they're all around you and it's a matter of training yourself to see them. That's mm. all it is. So, yeah. How about your earlier romance novels? Where did the inspiration come from for those? The inspiration for those came from every romance novel that I had ever read and I think, <laughs> I think that was the problem with them. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm. I, I think what I was trying to do in those stories was to um, was to mimic every romance novel that I'd ever read and that's why they didn't work for me. I think mm. you have to approach a romance novel the same way you would approach any novel. You have to take it with take into it that flash of inspiration that just makes a, makes an idea come to life. Like mm. with the mapmakers, it was just I couldn't not write that idea. 
It was mm. so interesting to me that I couldn't not write it. And so um, I think, you know, like you have to look for those ideas. You've got to look for the ones that make you a little, give you a little goosebumps and, go, and make you go, oh, that could be really good. Yep. Those ones are the ones you look for. Now, uh, the first book in the Mapmaker Chronicles has done ridiculously well. It's already in reprint. Yes, and, and it's actually being reprinted again, I found out today. I'm oh, my God. I know, I'm just about to Congratulations. I know, it's very exciting, yes. Wow, <laughs> and also very exciting that you were in the top 10 books of 2014. Yes, that was on Bookworld. Um, yeah, from so, Bookworld. yeah, no, it's made a few of the best of 2014 lists, which is um, just really overwhelming, to be honest. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> so, book two comes out next year. Um, yes. What month again? It comes out at the beginning of April in 2015. And book three? Book three is out October 2015. Okay, so now you've written book three. Yes. And what are you working on now? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? <laughs> I have written book three. I'm still just um, the, the my my publisher has done a structural edit on it, and I'm just going through that at the moment, just finishing a few things and adding a few bits and pieces in and stuff. Um, I've been proofreading book two. So that's already, they're sort of like pretty much done. A part of me just doesn't want to let go of them. So I think I'm mm. going to tinker with that for a bit longer. Um, but I have been considering my next move. I, I have just handed to my agent um, a manuscript for another women's, commercial women's fiction novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just sent that to my agent. I finished that um, last week, which was exciting. And um, I, I spent some, I've spent some time thinking about what I might do for next year. I'm, I've got quite a few festivals to go to oh, yeah. and uh, school group things to do and stuff like that. So my, I guess I'm at that point now where um, I have to balance in the promotional stuff as well as writing stuff and, and all that sort of thing. Um, I have somebody who has approached me wanting me to do a nonfiction project. Mm. Um, so I'm considering whether I might do that. Um, and, yeah, I, to be honest with you, I just think I need to lie down for a few weeks. Yeah, fair enough. And give it some thought. <laughs> so in our, first epi- least, no. uh, yeah. in our first episode back in 2014, you'll tell us. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I'll be totally ready. I'll be lying on the beach thinking to myself, what am I going to do in 2015? I mean, I guess, you know, the joyous thing is that I have some options. I've got, you know, things to choose from. So that's always a, a yes. really nice place to be. So when you are writing, in the middle of writing a book, tell us about your writing routine like do you have a you know because there's that book that we've referred to in the podcast before uh, called daily rituals and it's about how artists and authors some artists and authors have a daily ritual that they stick with no matter what do Mm. you have any rituals before you start writing or anything like that to get you into the zone um not really because I'm usually working on so many different things like I'm still doing freelance work I'm still doing um, writing websites I'm still doing social media work I've got a whole lot of things on so basically I I sit down I, I send myself an email every night of all the things that I need to do the next day I have a look at that I work out which where the priorities are and everything you know obviously the paid work is always prioritized the deadlines are prioritized if it's due that day clearly that's what you work on um so I look at that and then I, when I'm actually writing a novel, I'm, I just basically try to get some words done every day. I don't, I don't put pressure on myself to do a thousand or anything like that, mm. but I try to push the story forward every day. So I start on a certain day and I usually have in my head, like with the Mapmakers 
chronicles both of those books that I wrote in 2014, um, you know, they were on fairly, sh- my, t- my deadlines have been fairly tight this year. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to get a first draft down. I just really like to push forward and get that first. I, I'm that person. I'm not someone who sits there and um, edits every day. I don't go mm-hmm. back. I don't go back and edit or anything like that. I read the last few paragraphs of where I was up to and then I just go forward. And I just write and write and write until I stop. I, I stop at a natural place. So if mm. I'm writing and writing and writing and writing and if I write 400 words and they feel like I'm walking through concrete, I go mm. and weed the garden. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, other days I'll sit down and I'll write 2,000 words in an hour, you know. So mm. it just depends on the day. And But I don't put pressure on myself. I just try to push the book forward. I just try to keep the momentum going mm. forward. Um, I think that's kind of cute. You send yourself an email every day. I do. All the things that you need do. to do. Do you, know, do you know why I do that? I <laughs> do that. Me. I do that because I am an insomniac and if I, don't, mm-hmm. if I don't write it down before I go to bed, like it's the last thing I do every day mm-hmm. is I write this list mm-hmm. and I email it to myself and then I know that I can go to bed and everything's there. I don't have to lie there thinking, oh, what if I forget to do that? Oh, what if I forget to do that? Oh, did I do that? Oh, did I do that? So it's all there and it's, I, I, I learned it from a, a sleep psychologist years and years and years ago that I would see this is the other great thing about features writing. You get to talk mm. to all the experts. Yeah. So I was having trouble with insomnia so I did a story about that mm. and I got to talk to like Australia's number one sleep psychologist mm-hmm. and she suggested, it was, it was she who suggested writing it all down before you go to bed and then you're not, you don't have that mind churn, you know, mm. that you can have. So mm. I've just always done it and now I just email it to myself because I can't read my handwriting. And so when you wake up in the morning and you open your email, do you ever reply? To myself? <laughs> yes. No, I, I don't. But I do take an enormous amount of joy about like <laughs> deleting things during the day. I yeah. open it up and then I just delete bits of it until it's like pristinely empty. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I know. All well, right. It gets you through, Val, right? Yes. <laughs> I love it. You can reply to yourself and say, like, nah, not doing that. <laughs> don't have time. Don't get real. Ridiculous. I'll forward it to you. All right. Who are you? <laughs> Crazy woman. Uh, well, we're almost run out of time, and um, but uh, I thought, how was that, Al? You know, nice, was, nice little yeah. surprise. That, Thanks uh, for putting me on the spot like that, Valerie, and making my making me babble on about myself for twenty minutes. That's no, just I thought awesome. It would be a good way to end the year. And listeners, if you were uh, thrilled and happy to uh, hear Alison as the writer in residence this week, please do tweet us and let us know. <laughs> and if you weren't thrilled, please don't tweet us. <laughs> <laughs> so can you believe it 2014's over I know and what a full-on year it has been Valerie it has it's just been and it's been just so it has been overwhelming and it's been so wonderful to have on all of our listeners when we look at our little pie charts and uh you know that that show us what countries you're from and that you've sent us to number one in the literature category this week which is such a wonderful way to end the year it is just could not be better. Could not be better at all. And so we're just so grateful to all of you who not only take the time to download and listen to the podcast, but also who ha- all of you who have left a review on iTunes and who, you know, tweet us or Facebook us to let us know what you think. That's what keeps us going. We're really looking forward to an incredible 2015 to bring you more interviews and more insights and more gossip in the world of writing and publishing and blogging. So any last words? for 2014 Al? No, I, I just think, you know, 
no, I think I've said 8 billion things there, so probably not. But, you know, keep writing. It's all I can say. Everyone says to me, how do I get my book finished? Keep writing. You can do mm. it. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you would like to check out the uh, show notes there at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. And uh, we would love to hear from you. Alison, where can we find you? You will find me at alisontate.com, but you will also find me on probably over the holidays more on Twitter and Facebook. So, you know, I'm at Al Tate on Twitter and Facebook is Alison Tate Writer. And I'd love to see you there. So come and say hello. I love a good chat. Yes, and I'm also Valerie Koo on Twitter and uh, just find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Valerie Koo. But, of course, you can find the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. We've got an incredible summer school happening uh, at the start of 2015 with lots of courses uh, at our campuses. And so many online online courses. I was just going to say that. Like I've been doing all the promo tweets for them and there's some great online courses happening over January. So, you know, like if you need a little bit of – inspiration and stimulation to get you going next year that's an awesome way to start and on that note have a merry christmas everyone and a great start to 2015 thanks for listening bye 